You know what? I'm so glad you're here. I hope you don't forget to smile, and I hope you never forget that Jesus loves you. Adios. It's good to see Second Service getting the clap going. That's good. You're picking it up. I like that. Well, um, we are in our third week of You Asked For It, answering real questions that you asked in your connection cards and different ways, that, the things that you grapple with. Maybe it's a tough Bible question. Maybe it's in how we live out our life or how we understand culture around us and how we see it through a biblical perspective. And, uh, and so... I have been, over the last few weeks, bringing the questions that I really grapple with, and people have been appreciating them at various levels, mostly lower levels. But here are the questions that I have been grappling, grappling with this, this week. Um, why is there an expiration date on sour cream cartons? If you try to fail and succeed, which one have you done? If you were scared half to death twice, would you be three quarters dead or all the way dead? <laughs> that one's for the accountants right there. That one's for the people that like the math. Okay. Three quarters? See, this is where you get schisms in the church right here. This is a problem. All right. Well, oh, the accountant says three quarters. Okay. Okay. All right, so the question, that, the real question that, that was presented that we're going to tackle this week is, what are the end times, and are we in them? And then second part is, that I, I decided to add with this, is hell a real place? Um, these questions came up, and they're important questions. Um, and this is, this is kind of, a, when you preach on hell, it's not a very often a very big amen type message. You're like, hey, glory, you know, amen, preach it, you know. But uh, if you hear an amen point, just let me know. That's good. That would be helpful. Um, but uh, according to the pre-research, Pew Research, um, the Uni- in the United States, of all the adults, not just Christians, but all adults, 39% of adults say they believe that we are living in the end times. Um, when asked if, the, if they believe Jesus will return to earth someday... Over half, 55% of all Americans believe that Jesus will return someday. Um, 75% of Christians say they believe this will happen. 90% of evangelicals say they believe that Jesus will return someday. Um, while there's a lot of consensus, especially among evangelical Christians, that Jesus is going to return, how and when that's going to happen is much more a, a subject of, de- of debate. And so... Uh, let me tell you, the apocalyptic literature of the Bible is uh, probably one of the most complex and hotly debated biblical topics, whether you're um, pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, and if you don't know what that is, it'll all work out in the end, I promise. Just trust Jesus. 
Um, so let me tell you, there, there are classes, Pastor Bruce has led a class that went months going through end times prophecy and understanding those things. So I'm not going to be able to get through all of this. As a matter of fact, the Holy Spirit decided to show up in worship today. I'm wondering if I should preach the, uh, the Cliff's Notes version of my message or, or just do the whole unabridged. What should I do? Go for, it. Go for it. Okay. Hope you brought a snack. Here we go. So, um, so as we look at prophecy though, especially apocalyptic prophecy, it can be daunting um, as we try to interpret it. I mean, look at the book of Revelation. You've got a dragon that has seven heads. This sounds like something from a video game or like a board game or something. You've got beasts rising from the sea that have ten horns coming out of their heads. There's horsemen that are coming in. There's apocalyptic horsemen and locusts that have the power of scorpions and, uh, and, and angels that are all covered with eyeballs. This is weird stuff. And for a lot of people, when they read that, they're, you know, this is so cryptic and so weird, I don't even want to touch it. Like, I, I, maybe I'll skim it, but I'm not going to try to figure it out. I don't want to touch it. And for other people, maybe it's really scary to actually read what the end times are going to be like and the, all the, the blood and gore that's going on and people being killed. And it's scary, so they stay away from it. Well, I will tell you, it's incredibly complex, but I'm also going to be coming to you today uh, humbly saying I don't have all the answers in terms of revelation and what, what uh, all the prophecies mean. Um, there are scholars and there are uh, uh, theologians that know far more than I do that greatly vary on their understanding of, of prophecy and revelation and things, things like that. So what, I can, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to come to you and give you my position, my understanding, and the biblical reason for why. And what I, what I would hope is that you don't just learn to regurgitate what Pastor Brent told you, but that you take this and you say, I myself am going to learn and study and understand scripture. Because uh, just like a good teacher says, I don't want you just to, to be able to restate everything I just told you, but to teach you how to learn, right? I want, to, I want you to be able to, as Paul told Timothy, l- rightly divide the word of truth, to rightly be able to take scripture and understand it and break it down. And so that's my, my goal for you today. But uh, uh, we're going to start today in Matthew chapter 24, not in Revelation or anything like that, but Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew 24, Jesus is uh, on the Mount of Olives and he's overlooking Jerusalem and he, had, he, comes out, he comes out from Jerusalem and they go up onto the Mount of Olives and he's looking over uh, the Temple Mount, Herod's Temple and the city below him and he begins to speak this message, this is privately to his disciples um, and this is called the Olivet Discourse. All of it, not because he told all of it, but like all of it because he's on the Mount of Olives, okay? Um, so, we're off to a good start. Matthew 24, start with verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. So they're looking around, they're looking at these temple buildings, they're amazed at it. At the, uh, in, in the parallel gospel, in Mark's gospel, in verse 1 of chapter 13, the disciples say to Jesus... Hey, teacher, look at these magnificent buildings. Look at the impressive stones in the walls. So they're blown away at the majesty of the temple. Um, Let me tell you, the disciples were some good old country boys. They weren't from the big city. And so when they came in and they saw the temple, they were amazed. They were from out of town, and this place was amazing. And they marveled for good cause. Herod's temple in Jerusalem was one of the wonders of the ancient world. It, uh, It was enormous. It took nearly a century to build it. Some of you have some home projects right now that are on that same timeline, about a century, and it'll get done. It took a century to build it. It measured uh, more than 15 football fields in area. That's one and a half times the size of our nation's capital building. 
It was enormous. And so um, Jesus, they're walking through. Jesus responds to his disciples in verse 2. He says, do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth, they will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. And so he makes this prophecy to them. And they're like, "What? this temple's massive. The individual stones in that, te- uh, in that temple, um, some of them measured 45 feet long. That's the length of a city bus. And they weighed as much uh, as 400 tons, uh, or sorry, 300 tons, which is the weight of about 130 F-150s. So these stones are massive. Who's going to push that over? They're going, are you serious, Jesus? Who could possibly do this? And so for them, it's just like an impossibility. They couldn't fathom fathom it. So in verse 3, it says, later Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives and his disciples came to him privately and said, tell us, when will all of this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? So, the disciples asked how many questions? Two, right? Two questions. They said, two, right? Tell us when when this will happen and what sign will signal the end of the world. So there's two questions they ask. But to them, they're very closely related. Because the, the destruction of the temple would be the end of the world. There's no possible way. It would be like someone telling you the eastern seaboard is going to disappear and there's nuclear holocaust. They're like, that's the center of their religion. It's the center of their culture. If the temple gets destroyed, it's the end of the world. So when they ask Jesus, what's the sign of this, that this is going to happen, they're asking for... All of it. They're, they're assuming that the temple destruction is the end of the world. So they ask this question to Jesus. And, and Jesus answers both of their questions. Because they don't realize that they're actually asking separate questions. And so this discourse Jesus gives them is actually like a Venn diagram of what's going to happen in about 40 years. And also the end of time when Jesus returns. So Matthew 24 verses 15 through 21. Here's what it says. The day is coming, Jesus says, when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Reader, pay attention. Then those in Judea, I like that there's kind of a breaking the fourth wall there that the writer does there, that Matthew does. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down to the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for, a preg- for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in the winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. So, the, I, Sandy, I think you're a slide or two behind me there. It'll never be so great again. So, Jesus predicts all this. And in about 30 years, like I mentioned, the Jews would revolt against Rome. Remember, within Jesus' own group, there were uh, people called, uh, 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 what's that? Zealots. Thank you. My brain brain went, zealots who were all about casting off Rome. They were going to do guerrilla tactics, whatever necessary to get rid of Rome. And, uh, And so Jesus had this group of zealots that were in his group. They were common around that they were starting to build this rebellion. And so in the year 66, the Jews did revolt against Rome. They, they tried to cast Rome off. It didn't go well. Rome came in and within the year 70, they completely quashed that rebellion that was coming up. And they destroyed Jerusalem. They burnt it to the ground. It was a, a, a very violent time. But you'll notice here that, that Matthew says, reader, pay attention, check out... Daniel. He says, remember Daniel. Here's what Daniel says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 31 that he's referring to. Here's what it says. His army will take over the temple fortress, pollute the sanctuary, put a stop to the daily sacrifices, and set up the sacrilegious object that causes desecration. 
So the Jewish revolt happens in 66, was crushed in 70. And when Rome came in and just quashed that uprising, they came into the temple and they brought their Roman gods and they put them in the temple of the Jewish God and set their idols up in the temple. This was a sacrilegious desecration to the, the temple and it stopped all the worship that was able to happen there. Not only that, but Titus, who was going to be future emperor, was there and he wanted to sh- make such a statement of, of this uprising that he destroyed the temple. For the next several weeks, the Romans levered those huge stones off of the temple mount. And if you look, you can Google pictures of, of the stones that have been cast down from the temple mount, destroyed. The temple has been completely destroyed and since that year, ni- in, in 70 AD, 1970, what? And since, since 70 AD, the temple has never been rebuilt. And so this, this major event happens. And so uh, Titus celebrates this. He goes back to Rome. He builds himself an arch. The Romans loved to build themselves arches when they had big victories. Um, in 2020, Hosanna and I got to go to Italy and we were in Rome and we got to see the arch of Titus. It's this picture here on the left is the arch of Titus. And then if you look here on the right, this is a relief that's right on the inside there. And you'll see that it's a picture of people carrying a menorah. That is the Romans looting the temple there. And, uh, and as a matter of fact, the people carrying it aren't Romans. Those are Jewish slaves that they made carry back to Rome. And so this, they're celebrating this event. So when Jesus predicts this event, he's predicting, first of all, he talks about this desecration that's going to happen, people fleeing to the hills. There was a massacre of people that, that, were, that were this resistance. Um, it was a terrible time in Jewish history. But then Jesus takes this and talks about a future event. So in verse 30, he, ta- he answered their first question, right? Their first question was, When is this going to happen? When is no stone going to be left on top of another, right? Then he answers their second question. Verse 30, it says this. And then at last, the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near. Right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will not pass from the scene until all these things will take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. So, the question that we had asked in our connection cards was, are we in the end times? What are the end times and are we in the end times? And so my answer to are we in the end times is yes and possibly. That's not very committal, is it? So, first of all, everything that takes place after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension, everything that happened after that is end times. We are in the end times. We are in the times that are, that are in the, t- the lead up to Jesus' return. And the reason I say possibly or maybe is that we don't know. Jesus is very clear that we don't actually know when the end will come. Uh, I'll tell you, the disciples were very certain that Jesus would return even within their own lifetimes. They, they had that expectancy. And so I, I'll circle back around to that. But let me tell you, we should live with that expectancy that Jesus could arrive at any time. That he could be here at any moment. That we should be living with that kind of purpose. But 
let me tell you this. Jesus does give the disciples things to watch for. He gives them signs to know that the end is near. He said, this way you won't be caught off guard. Be watching for these things. It's not going to... When you look at the leaves on the trees outside, he said, look at the fig tree. You're going to see that... Right now, if you look outside, they're changing colors to like yellows and browns and golden colors. And I hate it because it means that it's going to get cold and rainy soon. Um, but it's an indicator, right? It's very pretty. But it, to me, it just means cold weather's coming. Uh, I like the warm sun. But when we look out there and we see the season, the, the elements and the things that change that tell us the seasons are changing. Uh, in the same way, Jesus says, look at the world around you. There's going to be indicators that his return is near. When we hear about wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes, they're all the birth pains of the end days. They're the things leading up to the end days. It's like contractions. He said, it's, it's this incre- increase in frequency and intensity. Um, uh, it, it, for those of you that have, you or your spouse have had a baby and you know that, that, that time where, you know, the first contractions are like, oh, that, that, that's a contraction. And by the end, you're like, that's a contraction. You know, it's, it's, it's much more intense and immediate. That, that same thing is going on when, when the end times come is, is the, these things, these wars and rumors of wars and, and disasters and things like that are going to get much closer together and more intense. And it leads us up to knowing Jesus is coming soon and we can know that season is coming near. But don't miss what Jesus says here. He says, only the Father knows. Not the, not the Son, not the angels. No one else knows but the Father. And all of this, if we had more time, I would go into how this all illustrates, really points to like a Jewish wedding and how that works out. But uh, um, this is so important to understand. We don't know that day or hour that Jesus might return. We don't know the, what, the day that that's going to happen. And there's no amount of mathing and figuring it out we can do. There was a, a NASA engineer by the name of Edgar Wisenant. And Edgar decided, he was a very, very smart guy, that he could figure out using different numerology and things like that in the Bible when exactly Jesus was going to return. And he had it figured out to within about a 72-hour period. So, in 1987, he wrote a book called 88 Reasons Why the Rapture Will Be in 1988, or in 88. 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Be in 88. And he sold or gave away 4.8 million copies of his book. People wanted to be ready for this. He was promising it would happen in this two or three day window. Those days came and went. And for those of you that aren't aware, it didn't happen. And, uh, and, and so Ken realized, I must have carried a, a number wrong. You know, there's a, something wrong in my calculation. So he went back and recalculated. And that year he wrote a book on how Jesus was going to return in 1989. Not 88, 89. Also, 1989 came and went. That, those dates... Jesus didn't return. Well, Ken decided to go ahead and just let things cool, cool for a while. You can't do three books in a row, you know, and have all those wrong. So he waited a while. But in 1993, Ken wrote a book. And guess how many reasons there were? No, 23 reasons that Jesus was going to return in 1993. And then the next year, in 1994, he wrote another book about how that was the year. Now, he never got it right. And let me tell you, Ken was probably a guy that was much, much smarter than me. NASA has never contacted me to help them get a rocket into space. Not once. Not, not once were they like, you know what? We need to call that Brent guy in Springfield, Oregon. He's got it together. He can probably figure this out. Never. He was a, a NASA scientist. Didn't get close. None of us can calculate or figure out this, this thing. We aren't Nicolas Cage in National Treasure trying to unlock a certain code or something like that. Let me tell you, there's no reason God would want to play games with the culmination of time and people's eternal souls with playing like some sort of code game with you. He wants to be known. 
God wants to be known. And so, um, let me tell you, you can live with freedom knowing, I don't need to know the day. I don't need to crack this or else I'm going to be damned to hell for eternity or anything like that. That's not what's necessary. We're to live our lives, though, as though Jesus could return any day. And so the good news is, history is going somewhere. We're not in just an endless cycle. Have you ever heard the term, history repeats itself? History does not repeat itself. History is moving in a direction, and there will be a culmination of time where God comes back, and, and, and there's an, a culmination of all things. And Jesus is going to return as a conquering king, and he's going to deal with evil, and he's going to vindicate his followers. And so that's the hope we have. We don't know the day or the hour, but we are in the end days. Yes, indeed. We need to live like he could return any day. Next question was asked was, is there a hell? Bad news for you. Yes, there is. Let's close in prayer. All right, no, I'm... (laughs) Jesus speaks about hell more than any other person in the New Testament. And uh, the Bible speaks about it a lot. And there's, there's a, a growing movement, even in Christianity, which kind of baffles me, that hell isn't really a thing. It's that Jesus was talking metaphorically about a valley outside of Jerusalem. Let me tell you, it is replete through the scriptures that there is a hell. It is very clear that there is a hell. In Luke chapter 16, verse 19, is a, a parable Jesus tells, but we're going to kind of use this as a building point for what we're talking about. So Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. And at his gate laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores. This is different than the Lazarus Jesus raised from the dead. He was longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away. Hades, by the way, is hell. Father, Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip his, the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your, your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you... A great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father, Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, he will repent or they will repent. And he said to them, said to him, if you do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. So this event happens, and and we need to, we'll, we'll establish here that the Bible indicates that there are two separate deaths for those who don't know Christ. Two separate events. There's a physical death, and then there's a a future spiritual death that's talked about. Um, There's going to be a final judgment in which, and it's talked about in Matthew 25 as well as in Revelation 20, um, in which those who don't know Christ, who aren't written in the Lamb's book of life, are cast into the lake of fire. 
But there's an intermediate time that's indicated here, that's talked about here and in other portions of Scripture, uh, where it's talking about this kind of intermediate state of the wicked in Hades or in hell. And so um, there are some beliefs about hell, whether it be Hades and hell, or about the future lake of fire that have circulated for a long time that, that need to be dispelled, that are things that are talked about, beliefs people have picked up that are not scriptural. First of all is this, the idea that's called annihilationism. Can you say annihilationism? You're very smart. Annihilationism simply means that they believe hell is the cessation of existence. Your, uh, your soul is just eliminated. It's poof, it's gone, and you no longer exist. You no longer have consciousness. It's like when Thanos snapped his fingers, and everybody is just away, and you're gone. And, and that's, that's what hell is. You're no longer existing. Um, it's very clear in this parable Jesus told that that first death of the rich man, it indicates he's very aware of his condition. He's very aware of what's going on. He knows his state. It's, in, it's such agony that he, he wants water so badly, he's willing for someone just to dip it in water and put it in his mouth. Like how much water is really carried on a fingertip? He's in such agony, he's looking for any kind of uh, help he can look for. Uh, Mark 9.45 describes it as uh, the fires of hell is not only being eternal but unquenchable. In Revelation 14.11, it says the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever and they will have no relief day or night. It's a place of misery, and they're very aware of their situation. Um, there's a story of a street evangelist who was trying to get people's attention as they were passing by, and he was preaching just as much as he could, and he said, and if you go to hell, it's going to be a place where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And an old woman walked up to him and said, well, I don't have any teeth. And he looked back at her and retorted, well, you'll be issued some. Hell is a place that's, that's, that's going to be a misery. Some people, I've heard it said, well, I don't want to go to heaven. None of my friends will be there. Let me tell you, it's a place of such agony. It's not like you're hanging out with your bros. This is a place of isolation, of, of pain, and sorrow. And so um, it's very clear that there's, it's not just a cessation of existence. Second is this, probationism. It's basically a second chance after death for repenting. Um, some, some see it or call it purgatory, uh, where you have the chance to, to, to go and, and through your suffering in hell, eventually become good enough to make it to heaven. And the Bible's very clear that doesn't happen. You don't get a second chance at repentance after death. Hell doesn't exist to purify us. It's not a time to reconsider your options or for penance to suffer enough to go to heaven. The Bible's very clear. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, They will be punished with eternal destruction forever, separated from the Lord and from His glorious power. Not for a little while, not until you get things right, forever. There's an eternity to hell. Third is universalism. All people will eventually be saved. The Bible does not say that everyone will eventually be saved. It's, it's very clear that Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 25, there's going to be a separation of the sheep and the goats. In Revelation chapter 20, it says in verse 11, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it, and the earth and sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. And I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up its dead, and, the de and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. Remember we talked about two deaths? 
This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So verse 12 indicates that the judge, at the judgment, there's going to be degrees of punishment. I don't know if you caught that, but uh, there's going to be degrees of punishment and reward based on what people had done. It says here that, uh, that the, the book was opened and people came before him. And, and uh, Sorry, I've got to find that, that reference again. Uh, and the books were opened, including the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done. So that means that people are, are punished or rewarded based on what they're done. Sometimes we kind of view heaven as like... Uh, it, it's it's A or B, just like there's no other options. And, and it's true, there's heaven or hell. But within that, there's, there's reward and punishment, it appears. Um, and as a matter of fact, in Mark chapter 12, verse 40, Jesus talks about there being a degree of punishment that's even worse for certain people in eternity. So um, I don't know what that looks like, how some who commit worse evils will suffer worse effects, but that's what Scripture seems to indicate. Um, Jesus also talks about how in the day of judgment, it will be better for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah than for some people. And so there's, there's levels of, of suffering, it would appear. And let me tell you, you don't even want the least worst, best level of suffering. I'll tell you that much. Um, there's, there's no level of suffering you would want. The last thing is this, that's a mis- misunderstanding of hell, is that hell was created by God to torture people. Anybody ever heard that thought or kind of heard that circulate? That hell was made by God to torture people. Let me tell you, the Bible makes it clear, the lake of fire was not intended for people, but it was actually intended for the devil and his angels. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it says, Then the king will turn to those on his left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. You see, this was originally created for Satan who had turned against God and the demons to be cast into, but, uh, but it was not created for people. Let me tell you, people send themselves there. We all send ourselves there with our own sin. Now, God does then use the book of life and commits people to that place of separation but we send our we condemn ourselves we condemn ourselves so jesus makes this point really clear in john chapter 12 verse 47 through 48 and we're getting towards the end how many of your tummies are saying brent wrap this up here we go john 12 47 through 48 i have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark i will not judge those who hear me but don't obey me for i have come to save the world and not to judge it listen to this now But all who reject me and my message will be judged on the day of judgment by the truth I have spoken. We all have a responsibility to the truth. And so we are held accountable. Now, I don't consider myself a big fire and brimstone preacher. I don't don't come up here and shake my pulpit around and go, Oh, you're going to burn. It's going to be terrible. Because I I prefer to lean into the hope of the gospel. Let me tell you, if we're followers of Jesus, we don't have that to fear. And I think there's a lot of Christians who have a lot of psychological damage of fear of hell. If you've given your life to Christ, you have nothing to fear. Also, let me tell you, if, if you have given your life to Christ, you have nothing to fear in the resurrection and the return of Jesus. That's actually something, as you read the New Testament authors, they celebrate it. They're not going doom and gloom, Jesus is coming back. They're going, hallelujah, Jesus is coming back. We've kind of got it twisted, I think, a little bit. We've had, and I'm not against these movies, but like, you know, Left Behind and the song, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, things like that, where if, if, if I told a, a white lie or said a bad word and I didn't repent on time and Jesus came back, I'm going to find all these clothes lying around of my family that's gone and I've been left here and I'm in terror. Anybody ever had that thought or worry, you know? You try calling your parents, they're not home, you're like, that's it, I missed the rapture, that's it. 
We don't have to fear. We can look forward. God's grace is big enough to catch us when we fail, when we make mistakes. Let me tell you that. If you have not turned your back on Christ, he is still there. He is faithful. So let me tell you, we look forward, but we are to live with, with purpose in these days, in these last days. Because hell is real. Because eternity does matter. And so I, I like to, to make jokes and things like that. But let me tell you, I'm not using hell to scare you into eternity. I don't think that, that making fearful statements is how we hold on to people to, to be followers of Jesus. That's not how relationships work. If, if the fear of hell is what initially got you to come to Jesus, praise the Lord. But I bet you aren't serving him today because you're just terrified of hell. I hope that you're serving him because there's a love and affection for who Jesus is. And so there's a... There's a, a, a Spurgeon wrote this. He wrote, if the wooings of Christ's wounds cannot make you love Christ, do you think the flames of hell will? We're not using the flames of hell to try to scare you into love for Jesus, but rather we want you to know that the love of Christ is what rescues us. It's the salvation we need. And so this morning, as we close, I want us to bow our heads and close our eyes. If you're in this room, and as I've been talking about hell and eternity, you've had this thought crossing your mind. I don't really know what would happen if I were to suddenly be in eternity today. If I were to die, if whatever were to happen, and I were to see God face to face, and, and I were to have to answer for my life, I don't know what I would say. Right now, I can tell you, you can have the confidence and hope that I carry, that so many in this room carry, that we can face our eternity because Jesus is our covering. See, the Bible says that Jesus is the Son of God. And while we were lost in our sin and on our way to hell, we were on our way to destruction, God sent His Son, who lived on this earth a perfect life, a life we could never live. And then He willingly took our sin, the death that was due to us upon Himself. He died on the cross for us. All of that sin was taken upon Himself. All of that failure, He took it to the grave in our place. But then this is the key. He overcame death in the grave. He did not stay dead. He was resurrected and he's alive today. It's because of his life that we have life. It's because of his life we don't have to fear death. We have life available to us today. And so right now, if you want that life, if you want to say, Jesus, I believe what you say you are is true. And I want to receive it today. I invite you to do that. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, or maybe you're recommitting your life to him, you've been doing things on your own terms, you've been walking away from him, and you say, I'm coming back to Jesus right now. Will you raise your hand and raise it high? I want to pray with you. Raise it high. Thank you. I see that hand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Yes, I see these hands. You can put your hands down. Right now, we're going to pray together as a church. It's a prayer of response to the love and mercy of God. This isn't something that's magical in the words. It's a state and a posture of our heart. So I encourage you to just repeat this prayer after me. Say, Dear Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you came for me. I know you died for me. And you took my sins. So I receive your forgiveness. From this day forward... I'm a new person. I have new life in you. From this day forward, you are my king. You are my God. You are my Lord. And you are my Savior. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. 
I celebrate with those that raised their hands today. Here's what I ask. We're going to do our connection cards right now, and then I'll get you out of here by 1230, okay? Everybody get out your phones. Use your, uh, go to nlcchurch.com slash connect or use the QR codes. Or if you prefer the paper ones, you can fill out a paper one. We've got our ushers in the back that'll have the buckets. You can drop a paper one in. If you marked on your connection, or if you prayed that prayer and you meant it for the first time or you recommitted your life, will you mark that on your connection card? We want to connect with you because there's really important things we want to be talking with you about. And supplying with you the steps of what it looks like to follow Jesus. Tony Dorr has a class on Wednesday nights that that is taking the basics of what it means to follow Jesus, those first steps. So maybe you've prayed that prayer a few months ago and you're like, I'm still just trying to figure this out. We want you in that class. If you, um, if, if you want just more of what we're talking about, Doug is leading a class on Wednesday nights that goes further into the message. It takes scripture and it opens it up to discussion and, and, uh, and, and, interpretation and all kinds of things. And so Doug's going to be leading a great class that takes the message into a deeper point on Wednesday nights. It's going to be a great opportunity. So right now, fill out your connection cards. If there's something we can be praying with you about, if you're a regular attender, let us know you're here. Write in your connection card what we can be praying with you about. Maybe God's been doing a miracle in your life, what we can be celebrating. Let us know on that connection card right now. I'll give you just a second to close and then we'll get you out of here. All right, church, let's stand together. I want to read to you a really encouraging section of scripture. First Thessalonians chapter four. Paul says this to the church in Thessalonica. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living, who's still living? Raise your hand. You're like, that was a long message. I'm still here though. Okay. When the Lord returns, we'll not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. So encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other with these words. Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Maranatha. Maranatha. Amen. Amen. New Life Church, have a blessed day. We will see you Wednesday and throughout the the week in Life Group.